Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined almost always by Brian Gottlieb. Wow, never going to live this one week one week off the show down. It's just going to be here forever. Technically correct is the best kind of correct, Brian. Okay, I guess so. Dude, you want to know it's not correct? What is not correct? <laughs> Stealing a bunch of money out of prize pools. Yeah, yeah, that is, uh, that's bad. Very bad. Uh, world championship was 27 i don't even know are we the super bowl clearly not but uh they released a little snippet about this and previously it was supposed to be a one million dollar total prize pool it is now two hundred fifty thousand dollars. they did not say that you know this prize pool has changed or where this money is going they just kind of tried to slip it under there you know yep uh so multiple people have reached out to me and told me that they appreciate that our show is generally very clean and they can listen to it with their children in the car and feel good about it. I said an F-bomb last week. I felt bad. It just kind of yeah. slipped out. We, we, we do try, though. I mean, like mostly because I've gotten that feedback and I like that and it's important to me and I appreciate people sharing that with me, which is why I'm going to share with you. Like, take a minute or so off the cast right now. Just turn your speakers down and cover your kids ears whatever you have to do uh three two one because i am fucking pissed this is bullshit jerry this isn't you know we can sit here and we can debate wizards decisions a lot and sometimes we do it too much and we can be overcritical and the community can be overly critical i'll be the first to admit that this isn't that this is stealing this is lying about prize support and taking the money from people and I just don't know how you can have any faith in a company that continues to do garbage like this. And it is just absolute unforgivable garbage. The first time they did it, it was garbage. And now to do it a second time after being very clearly caught the first time, it's super garbage. And I'm so, so disappointed in Wizards of the Coast. This is the type of thing where I can actually like galvanize my anger around it. I can't get angry about, oh, you reprinted this card or a card has to be banned in standard. Like those are mistakes. Those are forgivable forgivable mistakes. And also uh, people want different things out of magic. So I'm always willing to let that stuff slide. I'm not letting this slide though. This is unforgivable stealing at a moment when magic is making more money than it ever has before we get that thrown in our face constantly every decision we don't like everything we're upset about the course of the game well magic's making more money than ever magic's doing better than ever magic's healthier than ever so maybe you're just wrong and i go okay maybe i'm just wrong but you're definitely fucking wrong if you're just stealing when you're making more money than ever and i'm so so upset about this and it's like, how do you show up at Worlds? And look, some people reached out to me. I don't want to name any names during this part of the conversation. Some people reached out and were like, financially, I have to go to Worlds. I get that. I respect that. I don't fault anyone for falling on that side of the coin. And especially because a lot of these people just lost their long-term jobs with the death of professional magic. So more power to you. Go get your money. That's fine. Other mm-hmm. people reached out and were like, well, it's still a high level competition and it's always been about winning for me and I'm still going to go. Are you a clown? Like, seriously, how long are you going to buy into this garbage narrative that there's 
any meaning behind this to let yourself be exploited by wizards. It's such a joke to feel that way because this is how we got to this point. You let yourself be exploited. You let yourself be used to advertise this game over and over and over and never push back and to just say, oh, it's fine because it's supposed to be a competition. Come on, like maybe you'll enjoy it, but it won't be here for the next person. And if that's cool with you, fine. That's that's your priority. But I don't know how you possibly justify it under those terms. Well, it's not going to be there for that person either. Like this person who is holding on to, oh, I just want to play like these high level competitive events. It's like, well, now those are gone. Yeah. So, you know, maybe. When are you going to stand up and fight for them? When? Right. Yeah. Maybe maybe y'all should have done some shit when I was doing some shit a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I keep coming back to. Like there was a moment where like a bunch of people could have galvanized around this idea of we deserve better and maybe it makes a difference, but that moment clearly passed and uh didn't gain a whole bunch of bandwagon support. I, I think you had community support, but in terms of other people making the same moves, it didn't really happen. But Again, financially, I can understand that because a lot of the reason Wizards gets away with this stuff is because they have created financial dependency, not only on players' parts, but like our part too. We are dependent for our living on producing magic income. So do you think I want to promote Wizards game right now? Absolutely not. I don't want to say a word about magic, but what do I do in that spot? Right. No, I mean, obviously, I share the same sentiment there, but as far as the like... Wizards has made the player financially dependent on them. It's like, that's not really true because I mean, you're, if if you're like a magic professional, you know, anytime in like the last five or 10 years, if you did not use that to, you know, strike out on your own and get some sort of like backup plan, like creating content or sponsorships or whatever, it's like that, that is on you. If you're just like, well, I'm going to collect my platinum money and then put in the bare minimum just to keep that going. And then you're like surprised when that dries up, given that the yeah, writing has yeah. been on the wall. You know, it's like that that is kind of on that person, right? Like I certainly wizards can uh, you can blame them as much as you want. I'm I'm fine with that <laughs> for like their organized play decisions and jerking around their player base, especially like the the actual pro community or whatever. But you know, if if people find themselves in a situation where it's like, oh, you know, the money tree dried up and I never did anything about it. And like, great, we, we're kind of in that situation, right? It's like, it's kind of on them where if if suddenly like, you know, Star City doesn't want to do content anymore and no one wants to listen to our podcast anymore, like that's that's on us. Like we we just like hung on to a sinking ship and it's it's a bad idea, right? Yeah, I, I should I should clarify a little bit my stance. It's it's less like reliance on the wizard's dollars and more reliance on the broader ecosystem. So like I I I agree with you. You need to seek other uh means of producing an income. And like you and I did that. I mean, especially it, it rings more true for you because you had capability to go ahead and just make a bunch of money playing the game, whereas I didn't. But we found other ways to monetize, be a content creation or uh this podcast and but there's still this backbone where all of those things are constantly hyping up magic and constantly yeah. hyping up the next set i mean that's look at what we spent the last four weeks doing here just telling you why you should go buy modern horizons 2 right and you don't think that puts money in wizard's pockets it absolutely no, of does. It does of course it does i mean i <laughs> like ideally what people should be doing around modern horizons is like 
renting and getting a rental account from card hoarder playing on magic online and like taking money out of the ecosystem potentially hopefully and, you know well, i think i think that's the best case scenario for that type of participation uh there's i i keep thinking more about my relationship with magic and like why i'm still here what i get out of it and i think it's the same for both you and i is that we love solving this puzzle Correct. right we love coming back and looking at these new cards and building new decks and that's that's never going to change for either of us um but i'll i'll tell you this if there's no competitive play i can't trust you to honor prize commitments i don't need your cards to play with your puzzle i'll there's apprentice magic workstation uh you know i can print proxies i can write on the back of cards and that idea is still there for me so why should i continue to invest in your product when this is all readily available and it's so funny because for years people not invested in the game would always go to me well why why do you need the official cards why don't you just make your own and play the game that way and that's like the first thing that many people outside the space think of and you go no well you know to participate in tournaments you have to have the actual cards they they will check it's important that you have genuine magic cards but if there's no tournaments, I don't give a shit. Like, I'll just make my own magic cards and play games with it. I, I don't care anymore. Like, I would say this totally differently a year ago, but this is stealing again. And when a company is not only like trying to make money from me, I can understand that you're allowed to try and make money from me. More power to you. You're not allowed to lie and steal from me. That's where I draw the line. And I look for ways to step outside your ecosystem. So the most conflicted feeling that i have during all of this is when you raise the question of okay what do we what do we do now how do we make an impact you know like should people uh like protest this event by sitting out or whatever and the the conflicted part of me is like it's not going to do anything and it's like right. actually genius on their part to remove all the power from the players so like they're cutting the prize pool they're clearly trying to walk back you know a huge investment on pro magic and it just means that if literally everyone sits out of the tournament they're just like okay cool this is what yeah. we wanted anyway you're right you're right uh, again they have engineered themselves to a position where they hold all the power and you know, I proposed some ideas to maybe get around that. Like everyone agrees to a split and all but eight people drop from the tournament and every, all those eight people register nonsense. Like that probably works. But again, everyone has to be on board. You have to trust everyone you're dealing with and you have to not have wizards just be like, no, we're shutting this down and not doing it anymore because you're not competing the way we want you to. Because they could do that too. I mean, in fairness, they, they have terms that say we can change the prize pool at our sole discretion anytime we want. It's almost always written on everything they offer. So maybe legally they can do this. I don't really care what you can do legally. Do you know what people get away with legally on a daily basis in America and around the world? Hell. Like, yeah, garbage. Absolute garbage. So go ahead and do this legally. That doesn't make you an honorable corporation. It doesn't make it a just decision. It just, it just makes it... So you can't get sued for it. And I'm not even sure about that in this case, because this is so egregious. It's not even funny. Wizards does not care about you. Yeah, I think that is patently clear. And I, I, Straight I would up. be the first to say I don't think that was always the case. I think they love their players for many, many years. Well, I mean, it depends on like what part of the company that you're talking about, because it, it, it is a big company. And I very much look at like 
the people who are creating the game and the world and all that stuff, very different than the branded marketing and like organized marketing. Sure. At least in this point, you know, yeah, so that's like, fair. when I'm just like, yeah, wizards doesn't care about you. It's, it's the, the, the fourth floor people, not the third floor people. Like the third floor people are the ones who love magic as much as you do. Right. Right. And I can't imagine what it feels like for them right now. Cause so many of them obviously come from like the same space as we do. So many of them are our friends and just watch the way the higher ups are treating the player base with complete disdain and milking them for every dollar they're worth and burning through reprint equity and producing $30 packs of magic cards and just over and over and over every way you could think of to squeeze a dollar from your player base and not give it back. We've seen over the last two years to great success, by the way, they are killing it. Good for you. Uh, I, I kind of, despise you as a company now that's what it costs you 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 don't i would be the first on the corner yelling wizards is great buy magic cards i i love these things so much i i just don't feel that way anymore i still love the game but this is this is too much this is this is a bridge too far and this is this is like the 20th thing that they've done you know it's like the straw that broke the camel's back or whatever right. Every, everyone's gonna have their straw that's what i keep saying like yeah there's a line for the straw for everyone and it feels like i i got my straw with this announcement yeah i've i've been broken for a while so it's like these things keep happening where you know during the pandemic they're like oh we're, we're cutting prize pools you know times are tough and the uh quarterly earnings reports come out or whatever and they're just like look at how much money we're making ha 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 right uh so it's this is just like another thing where i'm like yeah i'm not i'm not surprised if people are surprised i mean you haven't been paying attention oh not the least bit surprised just disappointed that's all i i continue to be disappointed it just is what it is uh i i would probably be more flared up if i were actually in the middle of it you know right if i I were like qualified for the event or something then maybe i would be trying to organize now it's just like uh i i gotta pass that torch like no one no one's really gonna listen to me anyway you know if i make suggestions for what to do so sure so, someone I, else someone else has to do it i i would i would love anyone listening to this who wants to brainstorm ideas about what you can do in the moment uh to reach out to me i'm happy to discuss it with you but i'm i mostly agree with you people have made up their minds and uh you're either trying to squeeze out the last dollar, which props, go ahead and get your money. I'm, I'm cool with that. Or you you just don't see it the same way I do. And then you and I are never going to have a meeting of the minds. So. Stop buying secret layers. It's a good start. I like that. But again, if like every competitive player stopped buying secret layers, would it even matter? And the answer is probably not. So No, because I, I think that those are like there's some overlap there for sure. Right. But yeah. Clearly, that is not the the widest secret layer base that Wizards has access to. But, you know, if if like, I don't know, the sales of them dipped by 10 percent, maybe maybe they notice, maybe they don't. Uh, I would I would guess not. They probably just like make an extra one or something to compensate. But yeah, it is it is no surprise that my feed on the day of the announcement was also a bunch of people gushing about the new secret layer announcements that they, Mm -hmm. you know, it happened happened on the same day. And there were so many more people talking about the secret layer stuff than the world stuff. I, I don't know if we've discussed this before. I was talking a little bit uh, with Cedric about this this week because uh, C- Cedric's basically of the opinion. I'm going to paraphrase for him. So if I don't have his position exactly right, 
Uh, no, 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 no. Feel free to misquote him and attempt to attribute <laughs> that's it. That's allowed. Friend of the um, podcast, Cedric Phillips. Right. Cedric is basically of the opinion that like competitive magic probably doesn't make magic any money. And what does it matter if they cut these things? They're mostly correct in doing so. And it's funny because I both agree and disagree with him. I, th- I think the statement that competitive magic is not making magic a lot of money can be 100% true and it can still have an outsized percentage of the brand's value tied up in it. And I don't know if that's clear just by saying that. So I'll try and dive a little deeper. Even if the competitive ecosystem isn't putting dollars directly into the pockets of wizards, what is the capacity for it to instill value in the underlying resource of magic cards what's that worth to the brand what about the fact that this is where a lot of the secondary market churn and i know we have to pretend like the secondary market doesn't exist if we're wizards but like that's a joke so uh what is the secondary market churn created by the uh competitive space worth to the brand what happens to the brand if it leaves target if it leaves walmart which is by the way, happening around me right now, I've heard mixed Same. reports. Okay, so I said that on Twitter and a bunch of people are like, nah, the cards are still here. I haven't seen a magic card in a Target or Walmart in a couple months now, and that's going from all the way in the West Coast to all the way on the East Coast. They're not there. And yes, they left because uh, the demand was so high that they, didn't, they basically didn't feel comfortable offering those cards anymore, but that doesn't matter. Because if they're not selling them long term, it, it really doesn't matter the reason why they're not doing it. Right. It's 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 just gone. And if they decide not to take it back, look, magic's a drop in the hat for Walmart and Target. Ultimately, it doesn't matter all that much. And if they just say, yeah, this isn't worth the hassle. People are stealing from us. It's it's causing a run up. We're just not coming back into this. But it's the type of thing where it kind of like mainstreams and legitimizes it when it shows up in a big box store like that. And it, people it absolutely does. People are walking through the aisles. They see the products constantly. Like they, they're constantly churning out new stuff. I remember like back in the day where it was like, you know, they only had like seventh edition and it was like seventh edition, seventh edition. That was it. Right. But yep. now it's like you go in and it's every like, product. Yeah. Every single product, a bunch of different fantasy worlds. Like you look at it and you're like, Oh, this is like a legit, like big brand. And then that legitimizes it in your eyes it it does and that's been huge in terms of creating magic's growth but what if they give up on that what if you have to go back to the lgs's and you look around and there's no lgs left because they anchored themselves in you know the fnm ecosystem and you know a lot of people say they anchor themselves in commander now some places that's true some it's less true uh we'll have to see how things shake out but my ultimate point is that yes tournament players can account for a small percentage of sales and still be absolutely critical to the long-term health, longevity, and just resiliency of the Magic brand. And don't be surprised if five years from now, 10 years from now, positions have changed dramatically and you don't have access to the big box stores and you have to ask yourself, how do we keep selling this product? So I I push back on Cedric's notion. I also had like a similar conversation with him where maybe right now i think that they are making the uh what appears to be correct decision from them just from like a bottom line standpoint right correct quarterly earning standpoint agree agree this is this is like a marketing cost we can't figure out exactly what the returns are on this does it actually matter 
And I, I can understand completely how if you're an exec, you look at the numbers, you're just like, this this program doesn't make sense, right? Let's let's just ax it. But how did magic get here? Yep. 26 years or however long it's been, 27 years. And I think that it's it was probably similar throughout history where organized play was probably something that like bottom line cost them money, but it also makes it so that there is a, a like vast history to draw on from magic and it has longevity and it, it just grants you legitimacy because you have like 25 years of the pro tour or whatever, right? Like, yeah, if they kept, you know, churning out cards and you, you couldn't like go on the internet and like find old decks or whatever, right? Like that, that would be like pretty strange to me. And I'm not sure how it would affect things if it's just like, oh yeah, there's like a bunch of different cards, but it's not like you can go back, look at the history, see, you know, what cards people were playing with other cards and being like, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that to some extent, competitive magic helped prop up magic to for when it gets to this point, people can just like look at this vast wealth of information on the internet about this game. And again, it's like seeing all the different products in Target or something, right? You're just like, wow, like this this game has been in, around for a long time. It, it has a lot it of history. Matters. It's very deep. It yeah. matters. So it like go back in time, say there's never any organized play for magic. I, I don't know how differently things shake out, but I think that if you want to make the argument that now is the time to shift mostly to commander type of stuff, then it it probably makes sense to do that. But like uh, competitive magic, I think played a large part in getting you to this point. I agree with you entirely. It sounds like we look at this the same way. And again, like I, th- I think that's the thing that gets lost when I'm on Twitter and talking with Cedric and it's just like, it seems like we disagree. I don't actually disagree with his position at all. It, I just think it like is a small part of the picture. It's, and I it's think narrow. It's narrow, yeah. right? Because he's just like, well, bottom line, you know, probably zero dollars. And it's like, yeah, you're not wrong. But also there's a lot of stuff that you're not taking into consideration. Yeah, that's that's my stance on it. Uh, you know, some of my opinion, I will admit, is colored by the way I engage with the game for sure. And I probably overstated to some extent, but I do think that phenomenon is real. I think it's there. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen going forward. Uh, I am hopeful for many years more of magic cards and ideas for me to continue to brew around i'm less hopeful that i want to give this company gobs of money going forward so someone sits down to build a commander deck right and you know of all these classic sort of like combinations and interactions and things like that and people have strong responses to that either it's like oh well that's like you know too powerful i'm not trying to do like this this busted like two card combo stuff or whatever uh, but then there are like the fun things that people gravitate a lot towards in Commander. And I think that a lot of that stuff wouldn't have the relevance or significance it has without it being like in, uh, you know, extended deck in 2008 or whatever. Right. And think think about like all the people that are like unbanned Splinter Twin, unbanned Splinter Twin. It's not like, oh, I fundamentally believe that this would be fine in modern. It's this interaction that is like, beloved by people for some reason and i think that if you just scrub competitive magic from the internet you know like people don't care about that they care about like 
modern less or what's going on in modern less. So I, that's like one example I think I can point to where it's like this this has impact, this matters. And it makes people care about like the game and the format more because they can look back 10 years ago and look at this thing. Yeah. Uh, I, also, there was like a, a pretty misguided statement where someone tried to credit the Pro Tour players with like creation of Commander. I, I, I think that's going too far. And I, I don't think the Pro Tour was essential for the creation of it, commander it's happenstance right it's like where uh you know th those those judges happen to be like engaging in magic yes and either either commander was going to happen or something else was going to happen like before commander there's five color 250 which was like very much a wisconsin thing and it's right. like yeah th those players were all like ptq players but it's like they would have they would have figured out something on their own without it I agree entirely, but I don't think those things can happen or spread without a competitive scene. It doesn't have to be the Pro Tour, but like there has to be competitive magic people gathering from all over the country, coming together, sharing those ideas. I, I don't think any well, of these things can exist without that. I believe uh, Commander was invented by someone who lived in Alaska. Okay interesting so so that that kind of goes to your point right where yeah. it's like how, how do you get the, how does it get down from alaska to the mainland yes, like exactly it's like you can talk about it on the internet and maybe it picks up steam from there or whatever but it's like really you need that alaskan person to go around and travel and like introduce it to other people so i think so i i mean from pro, a, pro tour a is a good vehicle sense. pro tour is a good vehicle for stuff like that but it wasn't if it wasn't the pro tour it could have been something else yeah, I, I just think there has to be something where magic players are getting together. And I, I don't I don't know, maybe like now that that exists, the command fest will continue to play that role in the future. Uh, time will tell. I'm I'm open to that possibility. Uh, oh, well, wizards. Well, now now we get to the part of the show where we talk about new magic cards, I guess. Yeah, great. Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Yeah. D&D themed core-ish set. Uh, previews started today. I haven't really looked at the preview season because I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> how, do we, how do we do this show after that opening where we now have to talk about this thing that we're just like angry at? It's so weird. Because, a... because the people who make the cards are different than the crappy people who are in the corporation. Jeez. Ah, I mean, like, I don't know, man. It's it feels like a, I I feel like I'm shilling. I feel like I'm shilling a product and I don't get paid by them to shill a product. I am just part of the ecosystem. And like I said, I like new magic cards and I, I like that there's a D&D &D set coming. And I hate that I like that, but I do. And I don't. I just want people to have fun, man. But I also want them to be aware of the shittiness that is happening. Okay. I, I guess I can live with that approach where our goal is not to speak the good word of magic and to spread that. Our goal is to make people's lives better. And we know that magic cards, magic ideas, however you are choosing to uh, shuffle them up and play with them, can can be a positive thing in people's lives and that's what we're here for yeah i'm not trying to police how people engage with the stuff that you want to engage in you know it's like there's a lot of you know crappy ways or crappy like corporations that you could give your money to i think you know the the vast 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 majority of them are crappy so yeah you know 
your line is going to be where it is. If all your friends play magic, you're deeply invested in magic. And, uh, you know, like maybe this is the thing that's the most fun for you or whatever. It's like, cool, do that, you know, be, be happy about that decision. Right. And just have as much fun with it as you possibly can. But hopefully at the same time, you're like, Oh, you know, like they're, they're kind of crappy or whatever. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't give them like too much love or whatever, but yeah, you know, engage with whatever makes you happy in the way that it makes you happy. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Okay. Let, let's try and suck some joy out of this D and D set and uh, put it directly into our souls. All right. So there are, there are dungeons and yeah. uh, there are cards that exist outside the game. You play a thing that tells you to enter into a dungeon. You pull one of these out from your deck box. Doesn't count as a sideboard slot or whatever you choose which of the three dungeons that you want to enter. And then once that, once you have completed the dungeon, that goes away. The game sees that you have completed it. Hate it. Absolutely hate it. And not just because I'm angry. <laughs> really, not just because I'm angry. I promise. Th th it all goes back to my idea about magic being a language and there being a core to magic's language and expansions to that core coming at a very, very high cost. For instance, if you make energy a mechanic, you should theoretically have your stupid energy counter with you for every game of magic played for the rest of time that possibly touches an energy having format. It is there. It will not go away. Dungeons are the exact same thing. Now, they're a little bit better because once you get to the dungeon, they speak the language of magic. So they get like a half pass from me. And I think playing with them will actually be pretty interesting. From a mechanical standpoint, I'm mostly on board with it. I just hate that like, theoretically all games of magic played for the rest of time could have one of these three stupid dungeons sitting on the battlefield and it'll be important to track them and we all have to carry these around with us and it's it's not that bad because it's going to be contained right like this is clearly not a mechanic that is going to be evergreen but this could show up in modern horizon 6 or whatever yeah it could there it's not like there have been a lot of energy cards have there been any energy cards since I don't then? Think like, I don't think there's been any, but like, doesn't that also speak to it being a failure in some ways? Like it should be resonant and something that goes across all of magic. These, these new ideas like scry, one of the best mechanics I think ever it, it feels like an alpha mechanic. That's why it's such a success. And I think like stretching mechanics should mostly do that. They should work in the framework you have. And I get that if you never step outside of it, then things could get stale and you should take a shot every now and then. Uh, but this feels like a shot at very little with, with very little upside. The, the payoff just doesn't feel like it's there for me. And I, I think the actual playing of the cards will be fine. If a little too branching, like for instance, we have a new planeswalker. Do you want to hit us with the text on this planeswalker before I talk about this more? Ellie Wick Tumblestrom, 2GG, four starting loyalty, legendary planeswalker, Ellie Wick. Plus one, venture into the dungeon. Enter the first room or advance to the next room. Minus two, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal a creature card from among them, put it into your hand. If it's legendary, you gain three life. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Minus seven, you get an emblem with creatures you control, have trample and haste, and get plus two, plus two for each differently named dungeon you've completed. Okay, that plus one is like the weirdo Urza card from the Unstable set. 
where you go onto the internet and you get an ability. Was it Urza or was it Mishra? I think it was, yeah, it was Urza Planeswalker, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the case. Uh, so, my, so this, my unset knowledge is very low. Yeah, same. Sorry. Uh, Sorry, folks. We'll let it slide. This feels the same way. Like, plus one does a very large amount of things and does it at different states of the game. And it's it's just, like, weird. It's weird to me. And, I again, I keep saying it. I think it'll play fine. I think it'll be pretty interesting. Um, but I don't love how wordy this has made this card. Like, there's a lot to unpack with it. And it seems very tame for the most part. I, I think if you look at the three dungeons, none of the effects are super pushed at first glance. And again, it's good that they're stepping these things back because if this was like the hallmark mechanic of, say, Throne of Veldrain, it's just broken and it ruins magic forever and we play every game with dungeons from now on. Or if it's Ikoria's hallmark mechanic like Companion and every game is, a, is supposed to be about a dungeon from now on. I, I'm glad that's not the case in much the same way lessons were toned back and ultimately safe. Feels like these are hitting the same spots, but I'm just not in love with it. it it didn't really hit home for me. And I like d and I, I don't play D&D, but I read all the D&D books and I recognize some of these dungeons and still doesn't do enough for me. It, it's likely going to be a one-off. It's supposed to be novel. And I am not the target audience who could appreciate it. You are halfway there, I think. Halfway, yep. I think that's a good way of putting it. So, I don't know. This This is not for me. I think that... The, the dungeon stuff will certainly be pretty fun for limited, but like for constructed, it's like the, these three dungeons all do like wildly divergent things, mm-hmm. basically. So it's just like, you know, if you're if you're a control deck, you're going to want Dungeon of the Mad Mage almost every single time or whatever. So it's like it, it's going to be pretty samey in constructed, I think. But for limited, it'll probably be fun. Right. And like I can see. Where it's just like on turn four of a game, you entered into a dungeon, you chose the wrong dungeon, you fool, you should have known the game was going to play out this way or whatever. Um, But other than like that specific thing, I'm just like, yeah, this is this is not for me, but like, whatever, they're they're doing it. It's fine. It's probably not going to happen again. Okay. What what else do we have from this set? All the cards we saw are basically dungeon cards. I think we're going to end up back next week with our first preview show for this set that uh, seems like the timing works out for that two dub two three creature dwarf ranger as long as you've completed a dungeon this has double strike wow shortcut <laughs> seeker three u two five human rogue whenever this deals combat damage to a player venture into the dungeon wow nadar selfless paladin two dub three three legendary creature dragon knight uh dragon knight is badass let's be real sure vigilance Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks, venture into the dungeon. Other creatures you control get plus one, plus one, as long as you've completed a dungeon. Uh, potentially a very powerful card, right? Seems fine, yeah. That's it. That's all. That's Evolving Wilds, card. too, if you want to. Yeah, but uh, sinfully ugly Evolving Wilds. And I, I like this aesthetic. Like, I like the original D&D books. If you haven't seen this, it's made to look like a first edition D&D book. Uh, I like magic variants that look like magic cards. That's just where I fall on this now. I hate the stupid secret layer metal cards and the metal aesthetic is 100% on brand for me. I I love metal. I love that style of art. I love metal 
uh, album covers, all that stuff hits for me. Yeah, but you're like, I, I like pie and I like gravy, but like you don't mix the don't two. Don't put them together. You know? Yep, don't have to do it. Uh, so when, not when, for me. People did, will like it though. When did first edition D&D come out? Was it like the 70s? Yeah, I think it was uh, mid 70s, but I'm going to do a quick Google and get that exactly. Yeah, I want to say like 75 or something, but yeah, you know, like this this Evolving Wilds, it, it definitely looks like the 70s or somewhere around there and it's just like 74 okay january 74 i was i was close uh off by 12 months yep yeah why are we trying to make magic cards look like they're four years old or whatever i don't know well if they look like 40 year old magic cards 50 years old who knows wow that's scarily close to my birth year yeah to be 50 years old yeah don't care for that wow Old man Brian yells at Evolving Wilds. Right. Uh, Get off lot, my lawn. A lot of old man yelling at clouds on this episode. So I'm glad we also gave me a moment to uh, really contemplate my mortality along with all the complaining. I could I could go to like a dark place, but I'm not going to. You want to talk about modern instead? Sure. Modern. <laughs> yep. Let's do that. Uh, modern challenges. Last weekend, I had to dig for these deck lists because... The Magic Online decklist page is broken yet again. So just going to throw that out there. Yeah, uh, we, f- we found them, though. I, we did find them. We did find them. And I knew how to find them, despite the website being broke, which is like not a good thing. Right? Yeah. Common sh- circumstance, unfortunately. Yeah. I should not have had to train myself to figure out how to find the decklist when the website doesn't work. Like... There, I could definitely count on one hand the amount of websites where I know how to like work and massage their URLs <laughs> to get to their hidden pages. Anyway, uh, do you want to preface this with anything? Like, or should we just get into it? Uh, I think people are making some deck building mistakes right now. And maybe we can talk more about that as we go through. How dare you? Brian, oh, I think they are. Sorry. Everyone is excellent at deck building, despite what Patrick Sullivan says. <laughs> he's, he's right about this one. Yeah, he is. Uh, first challenge on Saturday was won by M. Muck. They were playing Is It Urza. Uh, this is a deck that I want to say was mostly popularized by Doomwake over on Twitch, Devin O'Donnell. He got the list from someone named uh, Da Vinci MTG. I'm not familiar with that person or whatever. And this is an Asmore deck that also has like Emery, Ragavan, Urza, some Mox Ambers, Underworld Cookbooks, wildly, wildly divergent game plans from all of the legendary creatures in the deck. But it's just like, yeah, whatever, throw your mythics together and do some powerful stuff. Yeah, and it can work. I like a lot of the cards in this deck. In fact, I'm personally working on a deck that looks similar in a lot of ways to this uh the exception being put asmore in your deck dude i don't need to jerry because you have the best asmore deck we just spent an entire episode telling yeah, people but, why they should be playing but, but like if you're if you're playing blue red and you're playing emery so you want artifacts and you're doing some graveyard stuff play asmore it's worth it the reason i want emery is because i want to control my opposing 
asmores and clues and all of this nonsense that's going on and, and food tokens. So I'm comfortable giving up on Asmore to play a more controlling game well, you're built around mostly engineered explosives. Trying to be like, oh, I want to play a controlling game and I'm going to EE on zero just to like blow up their stuff and like hopefully not touch mine doesn't make a lot of sense if you're playing Saga. So play Asmore, play Saga, play Emery, play Explosives. All those cards are great. And then if you're behind, then you can EE for zero and blow up their all their foods and Asmores and tokens, right? And if yes. you're ahead, if you're ahead, just do something else with it. You know, like what? who cares? You're winning. I guess the problem is I I don't know how to make those two decks fit in the same place because Asmore requires a lot of cards, right? Like you oh, have I did. to have. I had, let me let me send you my deck list. Oh, okay. Well, you did it for me. I don't even have to worry about it anymore. Uh, one moment. So as I do, I uh, I cut all the win conditions basically. Obviously, that's just correct magic. Yeah, that's why I said in the article, man. I was like, this is technically correct, but you gotta you gotta watch your time. Well, you know, I'm a very speedy magic player, so this should not be a concern for me. Uh, for folks that don't know, Brian, that is a joke. Yeah. Uh, so so one of the cool things about this deck, I will say, and Mux list, I, I really like Mox Amber. Uh, it, it is not Mux, getting a lot of love. Mux Amber? Mux Ambers. Mux Mox Ambers. Uh, you just sent me a deck list that I'm now looking at. Yeah, yeah, no win conditions. Love it. And look at this for expressive iteration. I was I was going to get there eventually, Jerry. Uh, this card seems like a critical part of the reason to even consider not just playing the Golgari food deck to go ahead and play. Is it I, I don't know why nobody else is interested in expressive iteration in a deck where all of your cards cost like one and you need the velocity very badly. You solve that problem in Golgari with Trail of Crumbs. You got to solve it in this version, too, though. Yeah. So Thought Monitor is solid. But like yep. if you don't have Cookbook as more, then Thought Monitor is usually pretty expensive. And iteration allows you to get like enough land drops and maybe enough like Mishra's Bobbles and stuff like that on the battlefield to make casting it actually palatable. Okay. And it also just, you know, it digs you deeper in your deck. It makes it more likely that you can find Emery and Emery will get cookbook or maybe you just find your Asmore to get your cookbook or whatever, right? So expressive iteration ties everything together. I cannot imagine playing the deck without it. It doesn't make any sense. I agree with you. Uh, I, I dropped this list over in our Discord, so our patrons will be able I, I to did already. take a look at that. I did already. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's there twice now. That that should be a double stamp of approval. Uh, basically, looking like you cut the Urzas from this list, like you said, no more win conditions. Uh, also, it's not just, messing around with the metallic rebukes or anything like that. It's just, just kind of bad. Urzas, Urza's like fine, but it's just expensive and doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. You know, mm. I'd, I'd much rather be able to like iteration on turn two and get some cheap cards, maybe get a zero to play that turn or like do it on turn three and make sure that I get to like make my land drop and play another spell. So how have your Mox Ambers been? Because you are running a little thin now, right? We're down to four Emery, four Asmore. That's it. Are, are you cool with that? Yeah, mostly. I mean, th there are definitely some games where it's not online, but even... I mean, if we're still talking about Urza, Mox Amber with Urza is whatever. It could be a blank piece of cardboard. It's still tapping sure. for blue, right? Yep, but, yep, yep. Uh, I think what you're really asking is about Regavan. Probably. That probably has more to do with it, yeah. 
I think Regavan is good turn one on the play and basically no other time. Just gets brick walled too easily. It does. And I mean, the more interaction you play, whatever, like if your opponent's playing a slow deck, maybe it's okay. It's going to generate some free wins outside of those scenarios, but like the percentage is super, super low. Mm-hmm. And if it is working, it's it's helping you win in a lot of different ways, just like, you know, generating treasures. So you have more artifacts for your thought monitors and you're accelerating into like Urza and all of these different things. Uh, but you also just don't necessarily need to be playing this high variance card when you could just play iteration and accomplish a lot of this. Okay. Uh, anyway, we we should talk about like the challenge decks and not like you know what I'm playing. Yeah, but your deck is better. It is better. I agree. Uh, I'll, let me read this deck and then we can move on. Four Spire Bluff Canal, four Emery, three Oval Chase Daredevil, Lightning Axe, four Thought Mantler, four Ether Spellbomb, two Engineer Explosives, four Street Wraith, four Mishra's Bauble, two Mox Amber, Mountain Flooded Strand, two Island, four Underworld Cookbook, four Expressive Iteration, four Asmore, three River Glide Pathway, two Steam Vents, four Urza Saga, four Scalding Tarn, a Springleaf Drum, and a Galvanic Blast. Uh, th- this just looks so much better to me. I-, I get the complaint about not winning games. What about a Brainstone, though? Do you n- do you not like Brainstone I, in these decks? I-, I think one Brainstone is fine if you want to okay. do it because your your Saga goes off and you either want mana, something that interacts with your opponent, or like a, or way, to, a way to draw a card, yeah. Yep. And Brainstone is pretty solid. It's just like fairly clunky, especially if you don't have a bunch of extra resources lying around but it's it's fine I, I think it's completely reasonable a lot of the time i'll just get like a bobble so then i have a zero for thought monitor or a thing that i can cantrip away if i want to so it's just like you know zero, do you want a zero mana cantrip or like a two mana brainstorm basically and i think i think brainstone is fine naturally drawing it especially in an artifact deck is completely reasonable it's not like outlandish to play this card that you think is bad or whatever Okay. But most most of the time, Bobble's better. Okay. Uh, yeah, so a little bit more aggressive slant from M. Mux list with the Ragavans, uh, actual win conditions like Urza. Jerry looking to play the hard way. I, I like Jerry's approach. I, I think it's just uh, getting to the core of what this deck is actually about, which is what good deck building is in most instances. Second place, Canister, Amulet Titan. Uh canister is playing abundant harvest a lot of other folks are not i think abundant harvest is a pretty big win also this deck is just kind of busted i think it it's maybe maybe not like clearly the best deck but it is probably the best deck does its thing so consistently now abundant harvest uh a fine pickup i also like a brainstone here maybe i'm a lunatic but there's a lot of spots where like putting specific cards back into your deck is very important and yeah i mean i i think that that's small but I, I do think that a brainstone could be fine if you're like severely lacking gas, but don't you just get amulet like, you know, 95% of the time? 95% of the time, but I think having that that one of in your deck is mostly worth it. I, I, I don't know. I, I have to play more with amulet titan. That's not where my focus has been. And I will certainly float a brainstone in and out to explore that a little bit more. But this deck is doing the same thing it's always done. It's just getting more and more consistent, basically, and doing the thing more regularly. It's got a awesome b plan in urza saga like you just uh, you have the beatdown aspect but more importantly you always 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 have amulet of vigor which i i just can't express how much that changes what this deck is capable of it's it's going to do its thing so reliably now amulet is is basically like a soul ring 
except that you uh, can like untap with it with times. greater upside yeah. like it just does even more in a lot of occasions yeah so just like oh you, you thought like one amulet is pretty good i mean you've seen the double amulet draws right like they're just yes. seen it's just comically easy to kill your opponent and with with four sagas it's just like turn three let's go almost every time and then you also have like a dried of the elysian grove valicate backup plan so yeah yeah i have a feeling i should not buy the foils from this particular version of amulet titan i don't know that i'll ever get to play it in person um and the ones i'm missing are quite expensive it's it's mostly like the fetch lands and urza sagas but, you, but you're you're free rolling at this point because the like foil amulets that you bought infinite ago are so expensive now right I, yeah, kind of. I, I actually don't know if they went up all that much after I bought them. Where I did kill it, though, was dried of the Elysian Grove. That was that was a good purchase uh, in Full Art Foil. So maybe that can be my free roll. Amulet of Vigor. What are we looking at? Uh, can I retire? World Wake Foil. Oh, $43. Yeah, I didn't pay much less than that. I think I paid probably 30 or so. Yeah, the, the line is pretty flat. Um, there was a reprint of Amulet of Vigor. Is that correct? Yeah, that usually doesn't touch like the the, the original. OG foil I know, price, I, you know, and that's why I like to go with the OGs for uh, a lot of reasons. And it's not necessarily like it cratered it; it just stopped moving where you would have expected it to kind of blow up. Uh there there was a secret layer, I guess. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. There's a secret layer for goddamn everything. So of of course there is. Of course, regular amulets are twenty four though. It's like still pretty good. May as well buy the foil. That's what I always say. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> to each uh, their own, I suppose. Yeah, I, I really don't have any notes on this list, though. It looks completely solid, uh, like basically everything Canister is doing in the main deck and the sideboard, and I would happily sleep this up. All right, I, I don't necessarily want to spend a bunch of time on this, but he's jamming the 6114. Yeah... Like, I've, I've heard a lot of discussion around it. I I kind of get it. I have no opinion as to whether it's right. So we're, we're perfectly safe not spending a lot of time on it. I think it's kind of dope. So the rationale is that you get to play an extra utility land in your main deck, and then you side down to 60 when yeah. you actually have your configuration. And I'm pretty sure that's nonsense. But, you know. It's brilliant nonsense, if nothing else, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. This, this is... Like I, I played a 65 card deck at States one year, Mystical Teachings, to like get more tutor targets in my main deck or whatever. And I think if I could go back, I would probably do like 6510, but like that wasn't in the rules then, you know? Right, right, right. Uh Loverage, third place, Ragavan Stoneblade. Uh this deck is fine. It is solid. I would say the same. Uh, we talked a little bit about Caldra Complete. That's that's the biggest pickup for me here. Like, I know Ragavan seems like it should get the headlines, but I, I think getting access to this card is worth so much for these decks. I'm not even sure you need to be stretching into red uh, for the Ragavans. I think it's possible that you can just do this blue-white, even look at a different third color and figure out some other options. I've seen some, uh, like esper stoneblade stuff floating around with vindicates and it'll all have its place for different metagames obviously this is like the leanest one which is probably the best default version i guess you want the cheapest spells for modern yeah i think yeah. if you want to default to that 
go right ahead. You, you can only be so wrong. Right. And then some specific metagames I'm okay with getting away for, from red for this list. But Caldra Complete, uh, if you're a Stoneforge Mystic player in any format, you can safely pick that one up in the nicest foil version available. Uh, or, you know, if you don't have any tournaments going up, make a proxy. Why not? <laughs> Boogles. Uh, not playing Boogles. Playing Delver of Secrets, Dragon's Rage Channeler, Murktide Regen, a couple copies of Subtlety. Uh, this is counterspell but no not going as big as like archmage's charm sometimes you see the region decks go up to that as well and mm -hmm. a lot of the time you see them actually just playing like ragavan instead of delver yeah i've seen that a lot of this deck going around i am pretty thrilled to see a strategy like this finally take root in modern i mean this is the type of stuff i love playing i've always loved playing delver decks uh this feels like a real delver deck the addition of subtlety has a lot to do with that counterspell certainly doing the same tricks so I, i'm into this i'm happy it's here i think it's probably like tier 1.5 i don't think it's among the best decks in the format but it's getting close it, it, it's getting real close and i don't know that it really even needs to change anything i think it just needs to figure out sideboarding plans uh get a little bit wider spread of matchups that it's good against. And it has the tools to do that stuff. Like you see Cyborg Blood Moon. I think that's a really important card in the format right now. Um, I also really like the three Ether Gusts in the sideboard. I think another critical card in the format is Ether Gust. So pleased to see that. This looks like a pretty well-constructed version of the deck uh, and happy to see it starting to get some run. I believe I saw this player say that they were playing like a budget version, uh, hence the lack of force of negations okay yeah so that's something to consider like a lot of the time when you see delver instead of ragavan it's because of force but uh this deck doesn't even have force so yeah uh well yeah, I, I guess i guess you know if, if there's no force negations then no ragavan makes sense also right like th this deck as a whole is probably pretty cheap so maybe uh, yeah. maybe that's why yeah only really like uh, is murktide region that's a rare right it's a mythic it it was pretty expensive initially it's like 12 to 14 somewhere in there now okay bobbles bobbles are like i don't know 40 or something on on magic online yeah we picked up those shinies a while ago that's a big win nice dude i kind of want to look those up now uh you you did cold snap yes i, I, I think so how much this how, is, how much do you think they are ah uh, this might have been before i was always getting the oldest version though oh, I, I might no. have like iconic masters ones oh no brian would that be a disaster brian no uh, the Cold Snap Foil Mishra's Bobbles are $140. Whoa, that was not a number I was expecting. Iconic Masters, $34. Double, oh, double Masters, $23. All right, <laughs> I, I am concerned. I may have the wrong Bobbles here. This, we'll is, this is why you buy OG, folks. Yes, it is. We'll have to look into that one. Uh, Mana Symbol, fifth place, uh, four color, uh indomitable creativity velomachus kind of like taking turn stuff with savor the moment time warp also playing ren and six and teferi two copies of this deck made top eight i believe yeah there's another one in eighth and i've i've played against this deck i've i've seen it play out i feel like this is just a, a clunker that is good against like the mid-rangey kind of piles and to some extent that includes like a lot of the asmore decks but Against anything with like, I don't know, Ragavan and Counterspell and stuff, it just seems pretty, pretty medium. Uh, yeah, a lot of high casting costs on your key spells. You, you have Teferi, which I think is a big pickup. Also, uh, high casting cost. 
Yeah, three mana for sure. For sure. Uh, I, I like this deck in theory. I'm a big Velamalchus Lorehold fan. I predicted it would do some very powerful things and it is doing so. I also like the idea of indomitable creativity becoming an important modern card. And I think it's uh, doing that very smoothly uh, with the addition of Prismari Command using Dwarven Mind very effectively. So I, I like that stuff. I agree with you. It doesn't feel like the right moment for this right now, unless the format is completely dominated by the Asmore decks, because I think that's exactly what they struggle against is things that just go a little bit bigger. Um, you know, they, they can do a lot to keep Velomachus under control if they're able to get their game plan going. So it's not like they're completely cold, um, but a little bit harder to just play fair against this deck. I think it'll usually overwhelm you, uh, control your Asmores, and then go ahead and get Velomachus onto the battlefield. Yeah, you just want to do stuff like, you know, play... Metallic Rebuke main deck, maybe play Lightning Axe instead of Galvanic Blast, stuff like that. There, there are like some small concessions that you can make for sure. And I guess like, you know, Explosives on Zero is pretty solid against them if you have time yeah. to keep the mana open and everything. So. Sure. Yeah, another good spot for Explosives. The, the more I look at this format, the more I'm just like Explosives everywhere. It's so good in so many matchups. It, it has some holes, like Murktide Region is certainly annoying. The fact that they're able to do the old Tombstalker trick and get their converted mana cost high. But for the most part, you've got good targets against every single deck. Sixth place, friend of the podcast, Kane Reinhardt. Demir has more. Uh, two copies of Urza. A bone shards, a thought cast, two metallic rebukes, and other than that, pretty much what you would expect to see: four Asmore, four Emery, four Thought Monitor, and this is solid. I watched Kane stream this a little bit. How did you uh, sort of contrast this with the Is It versions that are going around? What does this do better? What does it do worse? Well, Brian, is, I, is there a reason to play this? Well, Brian, I did that this week in my article on StarCityGames.com. Wow, ahead of the curve. Uh, basically, you look you look at the splash cards, right? It's like Bone Shards, uh, sideboard options like Thoughtseize, Fatal Push. You get uh, Tezzeret if you want that as like a non-graveyard-reliant Trump or whatever. Yep. Yep, Ashiok cool. is easier to cast. You can uh, cast Oval Chase Daredevil a little bit easier, whereas in the blue-red one, you need Mox plus Asmore. And it, it, that seems small, but it comes up a lot, way, way more than I thought it would. And I don't know, like Nile Spellbomb instead of Soul Guide Lantern, whatever. Yeah. Vers versus like Galvanic Blast or, or Lightning Axe, Ragavan. Once you decide like you don't need Ragavan, it's a lot easier to compare because it's like, you know, disruptive element versus disruptive element, removal spell versus removal spell, whatever. But once you're like, oh, I'm going to try expressive iteration in my deck, and then you're like, holy crap, this, this card is busted, then it's just not a contest in my, in my mind. Like, Red versus black is already very close, but once you get iteration in the mix, red is better by far. Okay. So I will not be playing your deck, Kane. I'm sorry. Uh, but congratulations on the top eight. Kane, your gas. The end. Agreed. Rakdos N. Gruel. Uh, liquid metal coating. Gorilla Shaman. Sort of love it. Uh, I have liked liquid metal coating. Too much for, too for much. some time. Yes, probably too much. Um, and here we've picked up what Obsidian Charmois. That's a card you were pretty high on. Gorilla Shaman, a pretty key piece. I like Fury a lot, theoretically. I don't know that the metagame has actually fallen in the spot I thought it would, where I was very excited about Fury. 
yeah, I've come. Fury's Fury's busted, but obviously only against specific things. I was yeah. definitely going to point out the called shot on Charma, but it's also one of those things where it's like I think people are probably overplaying it. Okay. Uh, I, I also really like Blood Moon in the format right now. So here's another Blood Moon option. Uh, I pointed some other Blood Moon options out in my article this past week. Blood Moon is excellent right now. Yeah, so incredible. If, if you can find a reason where like, well, okay, here's here's something to consider. There's a lot of artifacts. I don't know that Karn interacts with them exactly how you want it to, but it's it sort of does. Like it's doing a little bit too blunt some of the problem cards we see from other decks. So maybe that's a reason to consider something more liquid metal coating focused. Yeah, I could see that. I I like these gruel decks in general, not necessarily because of like their game plan, but just because they're trying to turn to Blood Moon people. And I think that that's very good right now. Mm -hmm. How many copies of Utopia Sprawl do you think you own? In real life? Four, four, if that. There's no way I have more than four. It's like a it's like a $15 card, Brian. Really? Yeah. Even with a, a second printing? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, I, maybe I don't even have my four. That that is also a possibility I'm willing to consider. I know I got the uh the the other one recently. What's the other one green enchantment aura that is important? Abundant growth. Is that that's the one that cantrips, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I bought those foils recently, and I was very proud of being ahead of the curve on that. But that's okay. kind of fallen out of favor, unfortunately. I should have gone into Utopia Sprawls instead. Yeah. Eighth place, RGNK Phoenix 20. Uh, also playing Velomachus, taking turns thing, mostly same list as fifth place. Yeah, same notes. Nothing nothing new to add here. Uh, do you want to like go through the top 32 as much versus like just doing the top eight in the other challenge? Let's go to the other challenge. I, I think there's certainly interesting things going on in the, in the top 32, but the headline story is probably more important because it's going to tell you about what the next tournament is going to be about much more clearly. Uh, winner from Sunday's challenge, Dimax, is it prowess with dragon's rage channeler instead of sprite dragon unholy heat in the main deck i think that they said something about like wanting to cut the unholy heat so like move them to the sideboard or whatever i don't remember what for though well, uh what this is a this is a very different looking list from some of the other stuff we've seen uh do well lately like the delver of secrets slower focus list this is the the pure beatdown game uh, Stormly Entity back in the mix. So more like the pre-MH2 version with right. just the addition of these new cards, Dragon Rage Channeler, a little bit of Unholy Heat. And that deck was solid previously. I talked about this deck a little bit and how I think it's games two and three are very strong against the format. And then you just kind of have these dummy game ones where your deck is consistent, powerful, and just goes off sometimes. So I, I still think this is in a good place too and uh, a, a fine choice if you have a modern tournament coming up. Yeah, deck is solid. I think just a lot of people forgot about it kind of. You know, it yep. didn't really utilize a lot of the new cards. Obviously, the, the red one drops are pretty strong, but other than that, you're not really picking up anything. So there is definitely a temptation to just try out the new things and kind of let the old stuff fall by the wayside. Absolutely. And I, I think that's been manifesting throughout the last you know week or so of events. And it's one of the reasons when I wrote my article this week, I felt like I might actually be in an advantage position because I didn't have the chance to play. And I just had to skip all that fun stuff. And it's like, okay, we have a serious format now. It's time to get down to business. What actually works here? Right. Uh, second place, Golgari Yogmoth. 
uh, a couple copies of Grist in the main deck, two copies of Crime Punishment in the sideboard. I like that card a lot. A lot of the same things that we're talking about, uh, why EE is good, usually on yep. zero a lot of the time against the Asmore decks. Punishment also has the upside of killing the Urza's Life, like the land itself. Awesome. Uh, awesome pickup. Uh, really good technology going back into the depths of older sets and finding a really cool card that I think is perfectly well-suited for the format right now. And you had a lot of good things to say uh, about this deck as a counter to Asmore. And, you know, it it does that, but it's also a pretty fine deck in, in and of itself. I think it does its thing very consistently. Uh, picked up a very good mana boost in the form of Ignoble Hire, which really helps helps the secondary beatdown plan. And Grist was another card that you had a lot of good things to say about too. So again, this looks very similar to the older list, despite some actual meaningful pickups and the fact that it's just a well-positioned deck right now probably a little underplayed for how good it is probably third place talisker is it uh delver murktide region again this time with ragavan and some force negations in the sideboard and yeah usually like the the delver decks are the ones that play counterspell no archmage's charm and then the stoneforge mystic ones are the ones that go up to archmage's charm but sometimes you see like a little bit of a mix and match do you like this version of Delver of Secrets better or the one from the other challenge without the rag events? The budget version, if you will, which I think is just like actually a very reasonable secondary option. I think if you're going to play Ragavan, it should be in a deck like this where you're like, I kind of want to mulligan to a one drop, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you keep uh, an interactive hand that has a Murktide region or something, but you're definitely looking to put your opponent on a clock and... At that point, if you're trying to clear the way for stuff, I mean, Ragavan fits perfectly into the archetype. So I like Ragavan here. Delver of Secrets is more of like the, you know, do we, don't we kind of category. And maybe if you're trying to just like play 11 one drops, then you are sort of priced into playing Delver. But this deck has 24 ways to transform it. The other one had 25. And that's that's a little on the low side for me. It is a little bit on the low side. Uh, I'm sure you feel that playing the games and there's no real way around that in the modern format until they eventually add Brainstorm in Modern Horizons 3. I mean, you could do things like play Seagate Restoration if you wanted to. I think that's that's one of those things where when you're doing stuff like that, you should probably know that it's just wrong to try and jump through all the hoops to make this card a little bit better. Yeah. If anything, I would be like, eh, maybe you shave like a Murktide Regent or something try and get an extra spell in the deck i think you could do that but it's like this deck has 17 lands which is pretty low it has four mistress bobbles which you need to fuel the channelers and yep. even the regions to some degree so like they're doing the best they can to get as many spells in their deck to transform delver it's just tough yeah yeah i don't see a spot for the squeeze either and i i i just really like blood moon out of this deck this particular list has an alpine moon in the sideboard i've never really loved that card um and so i think once you go to the Seagate Restoration route, now you've made your Blood Moons worse. So I'm not really interested in that. I think you just kind of live with it and your Delver is going to be your worst one drop. So be it. Yep. Fourth place, McWright. Uh, Amulet, but playing the more classic 60-15, although they're also playing a list that is pretty similar to Canisters. Yeah, it looks uh, almost spot for spot the same. And I think it's like the Ghost Quarter is in Canisters' main deck and it's in the sideboard here. And I'm, I'm sure there's a couple other small differences, but second, again... Second Grazer over second Azusa. Yep, that's a good point. But consistent, powerful, love Amulet right now. Nothing else to say. 
Hamuda, fifth place. Mono, white, Colossus Hammer. I think this deck is good. Yeah, we've talked a bit about this uh, leading up to this show and how Urza Saga was a pretty big game changer for this. And as I look through this list, it does everything I said it would. It very consistently executes this game plan. It's just a question of how good this game plan is against the format, which is something I find myself asking a lot with these linear decks right now is that they've all picked up really good consistency mechanisms. I wrote about Ad Nauseam this week, for instance, which is just like always, always, always doing its thing on turn four now. And that matters to a very large extent because it's no longer about is my deck functional? It's about is my deck functional in the context of metagame? And I think this deck has to ask the exact same thing. Does this thing matter against the broader metagame? So who do you want to play Hammer against? Does it line up well with the other top contenders in the format? The game plan is good. Trying to get people dead on turn three in the midst of them playing like a little bit of a slower beatdown plan or like these kind of like longer grindier decks or against Amulet, which can also kill you on turn three. I think that that plan itself is good, but mm -hmm. when your game plan relies on artifacts and artifacts are under just a ton of hate right now, I think that maybe you should try and look for something else. And, you know, if, if something better doesn't exist, that's okay. You know, like this, this plan is, is still fine. You're still going to get them some amount of the time. Yep. Maybe at that point you try and look for like a backup plan or something. But when you're playing like Mem Knights and Ornithopters, like there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I think we found our backup plan in Urza Saga, and unfortunately, it's like soft to the exact same things. So, yeah. An actual potato in sixth place, playing, uh, I think, 75 that won the last challenge. The Is it Asmore, Ragavan, Urza nonsense? Yep, we've set our piece on it. Jerry's list is better. Matus F34, Eldrazitron. Good God. Uh, two copies of Urza Saga. I was wondering about that yeah uh here, here's eldrazi tron i mean it again if karn's good that's a point for eldrazi tron but this is still the same deck i don't want to play this right now sorry maybe it's fine i doubt it it's cool that the deck already wants to play expedition map i guess that's true uh and then we just add in this one relic of progenitus and now we have a quote-unquote tutor package wonder why Relic instead of Soul Guide Lantern. Like, is, is Tarmogoyf that big of a deal? Uh, there's, like, other corner cases where, like, the consistent relicking can be worth something. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I'm not going to get into the minutia of Eldrazi Tron. Uh, eighth place, we have Canister again, this time with uh, Jeskai, Stoneforge, Regavan thing. Uh... A few more Planeswalkers than folks normally play, but mostly the same stuff. Yeah, n nothing new for me to add. Uh, Prismatic Ending is a very good magic card, if if that isn't already clear to you. I think it's really important for the Scape Shift decks too, the Bring to Light Scape Shift decks, which is another deck I'm kind of high on right now. It's good. Uh, that also didn't pick up anything, so I think people are playing a little bit less of it than they should be. Um but it all depends what direction this metagame is going to go in. Is it more about focusing on the Asmore stuff? Or is it going to focus more on the Delver side of things? Or is Amulet going to rise up? And depending on which of those three pillars really start to pull ahead, because I think that's where the top of the format is right now, it's, it's some form of visit, be it Prowess, Delver, 
or you know um, a more traditional list or is it the Asmore decks or is it Amulet? And once we answer that question, then we can start to pick at it with some of these weirder things going on along the fringes. Yeah, and then you can also start looking at sort of the more fringe decks like the Colossus Hammer decks and you know try and find the thing that's best positioned to fight. Yep, and that all adds up to a pretty healthy modern format. I mean, Urza Saga, it's definitely too good. Nobody's disputing that fact, but... Is the format actually worse because Urza Saga is a part of it? I don't really think so yet. Yet. Uh, very big yet. Because I, I, I think we could reach a point where uh, you just get sick of it. I do. I think it's worse. But Okay. Okay. I, I respect that stance. I mean, like, do you think it's worse at this moment? Or do you think it is going to get worse, though? That's what I would really hold you to the fire with. Oh, it's definitely going to get worse. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you saw, like, uh, a Pro Tour in this format or something, it would be bad. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how the next uh, months, weeks, years play out. Uh, we'll start crawling through dungeons, and maybe that'll alleviate oh, all the stress that Urza Saga is putting on us. Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm I'm playing with proxies anyway. Go ahead and ban it. I don't care. I'll I'll play on Moto and cash out my tickets. As appreciate I've been, you, as, appreciate you, card hoarder. As I've been doing for the last twenty years. Where yeah, I wonder. I wonder actually how much money I've made from Magic Online. Granted, it's like not going to be a good hourly, right? But oh yeah, yeah. So so I've cashed out my collection for some pretty big paydays a couple of times on Magic Online. I I wish I was more detailed about the money being put into it, and that all like disappeared somewhere along the line. I I have to assume I'm up just based on like the really big sales. And yeah. if I actually put that much money into Magic Online, I would be kind of horrified. Um, so. And I also remember periods of time where, like, I would go a year or two without actually putting dollars onto the platform. So, oh, I went like fifteen years without okay. without putting money on it. It's a good run. Yeah, uh, but that was like, oh, I'm you know keeping my collection this entire time and upkeeping it, and then I started like right. selling out and then like buying in to like play a modern tournament or something, you know. And then just at that point, it was like, I could look for someone to buy tickets from, but whatever, who cared? Just spend a hundo so I can buy this last stuff. Right, right. The laziness basically yes. took over at some point. Yep. I understand that. So I did I did directly give them money at a few different points, but it was definitely for just very small amounts. And now I have like, I don't know, like 1,500 tickets worth of stuff on my account or something. And like, that's just what I've been juggling the last few years. Beautiful. Keep juggling. Don't put those dollars in. Nobody else put any dollars in. And then somehow we'll we'll get through this. The depressing thing is like, I don't even think it matters. We have to have some positivity to end the show. We can't just say nothing we do matters. Give me give me some ray of hope. Nah, something to cling to, Jerry. No, nah, because that's that's kind of where I'm at. Like yeah. our our podcast audience, it is you know, relatively vast and I love the folks and they're all great. And I want to tell them all that they matter. But, you know, if, if all of you bought like 10 secret layers with the last one and now you buy zero, it's just, it's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't matter. What a, what a powerless feeling. Game. Good luck.